Welcome to Unframed, the podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I am your host, Anthea Pockroy. Welcome to episode 26 of Unframed. In this episode, I chat with Sandile Radebe about his artistic practice. This is the fourth episode in a series on Unframed called Artists in Isolation, which profiles South African artists during the lockdown period of the COVID-19 pandemic. We are living through unprecedented times, where we are needing to find ways of connecting with each other and the broader art community, of being inspired and of creating more platforms for artists. Sandile is a Johannesburg-based artist whose main area of interest is art practice in both public and private spaces. He explores these spaces through simulating a new reading of graffiti and, more broadly, the way language works to help construct our realities. Sandile visualizes graffiti in paintings and abstract sculptural forms and creates installations with these forms to create labyrinthine structures akin to walking in the city. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Sandile Radebe. So welcome to Sandile Radebe, who is joining us for this episode of Unframed. I'm very excited to have you. Hi, Sandile. Uh, hi, Anthea. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's great to talk to you again. I don't think we've seen each other in a while. To begin, um, Sandile, can you please introduce yourself to our audience for those that don't know you? Uh, hi, um, I'm Sandile Khatebe. I'm a visual artist that's based in Johannesburg. Um, I work primarily in sculpture, installation, and uh, painting. Um, yeah, that's me. While we're talking, I'd really like our listeners to be able to view your work. Where can they see your work online? Um, on my Instagram page, Sandile underscore Khatebe underscore art. Yeah, and then every now and then, there's something via gallery that I'm showing with uh, that shows some of my work and what you're doing with that gallery. So, yeah, primarily my Instagram page is where you find most of my work. Also, I have a lovely PDF portfolio from Sandile, which I will place a link to on the web page for this episode. So you can go check it out there as well. Awesome. So, Sandy, tell me. How are you doing during lockdown and during this isolation? How's it been for you? A bit of adjustment. Um, I can't do what I normally do. Can't go to my studio. So I've like tried to move most of the stuff from my studio to where I stay. Trying to get used to working from there as opposed to working from my studio. Uh, as well as the stuff that I do in public spaces, I can't paint in public spaces because of the lockdown. So it's a, it's a, it's an adjustment that I have to make in terms of how do I see myself practicing or doing what I do under these circumstances. It's requiring a shift from me, uh, getting used to it, adapting. Um, yeah. So that's what it's been like. Did you have any events or? gigs or exhibitions that were meant to be happening that were cancelled? Sales mostly. I've, I had a couple of clients that were trying to buy some of my works, um, a lot of them from overseas. And when the corona kicked in, those leads just dried up. Some people from local people were trying to buy um, and also those leads have dried up. Luckily, there is one client 
that is still carrying on with the commission that I'm supposed to be doing. So there's hope there. Uh, they're working remotely, so they find they can do the payments and all the paperwork. The challenge is the foundry that I'm going to be making the work with. Uh, I have to figure a way around that. How are you feeling about the future of, of your art practice and the art scene after this time? I mean, whenever that is. Optimistic. I'm positive. Um, I think we're obviously not going to go back to the normal world we know. But though right now, a lot of galleries have gone like digital. So it's created a digital platform where people can exchange, interact, like we're doing this conversation, the online studio visits. It's definitely changing how we operate as practitioners, but it does not eliminate uh, the possibility of earning an income through our practice. It's just changing the way it's going to work. So I, I think over time it will go back to relatively normal, but there's going to be changes uh, that you're going to have to get used to and work around. But I think we still can practice as artists even after the lockdown. That's good that you're staying positive and being, are you being productive during this time? Very productive because now I oh, <laughs> don't walk. Uh, I'm just confined to this one space and I need to keep myself busy. So yeah, I've been, I've been very productive. So Sandile, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the artistic journey you've had up until now? I mean, we, we met at WITS. You were a year above me studying fine art. And um, so, yeah, can you maybe just tell us how you got to where you are now? Oh, uh, that's a very long story. Let me try and make it short. Doodling in my linguistics class, I was doing philosophy, linguistics, archaeology. This one goes like, wow, I like, I like those drawings that love them in art school. And I was like, no, they wouldn't. It's like, yes, they would. I was like, no, no ways, not this. These are just doodles. And she's like, let's bet on it. I bet you they'll take you in art school. So I took a bet. And I lost it because here yeah, I am practicing art now. So that's how it started my art training. Prior to that, I've been drawing my whole life. Ever since I can remember, I've always been drawing. Yeah, I got into art school, accepted in art school, started painting, hooked up with a couple of guys. We formed a crew, painting graffiti, doing stencils, stickers. This was like 2003, 2002. We're doing all that street art thing that they they call it street art these days uh yeah so i've been yeah i've been busy in the streets since like 2001 like painting stickers stenciling um everything um yeah been there yeah and then after university what's your story oh yes uh so after varsity couldn't find a job actually i was doing art because i loved art um i remember during my interview they're like so, um, your future prospects, where do you see yourself, um, after you finish studying? I was like, honestly, I don't know. I've always been drawing and I enjoy it and I want to do more of it. They said, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be fine. And then when I finished, then that same question came back to me. It's like, okay, so what do I do now? There weren't many jobs in the art industry. So I looked for a job. I got a job with Doctors Without Border. I did a couple of other jobs as well. Until I got a job at Kelegetla Library as an art facilitator, did I manage to get back into the swing of being a creative, working with kids, teaching them how to draw, uh, interacting with people in the creative space. Eventually, I got into a group show, and from there, from there on, it kicked off. Like uh, one group show, next group show, 
uh, meeting people. I met you at um, the art fair, Joburg Art Fair, and you gave me an assemblage pamphlet, and you said, come. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are one of the things that got me back into the, into the art industry. Did you join uh, peer mentoring? And yes, I did. Like, did you start doing peer mentoring? And then you joined the studios. What year was that? Uh, 2012. I joined the studio twice. Uh, I started the peer mentoring in 2011, then joined the studio in 2012. And then I joined the studio again. I think it was 2015 or 2016. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those were good days at the Assemblage Studios uh, in, in Newtown. I'm very nostalgic about them. Yeah, yeah. Still con- <laughs> Most people that I met there, I'm still in touch with them. Yeah, we developed a, a great community there. Yeah, definitely, so, definitely. amazing. Mm. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your practice. You kind of mentioned it when you introduced yourself. But if you can just kind of talk me through your thinking around themes and subject matter and the things that the concepts you're engaging with. The primary thing is language. Language is a mediator of reality. I'm always interested in the ontology of ideas, uh, epistemology of things. So I use language as a metaphor for a mediator of reality. And then I explore writing systems as visual representation of these ideas. Uh, how are they formed? Uh, what aesthetic qualities do they have? What role do they play in life? Um, and that is my starting point. And how I manifest these things, I use graffiti lettering uh, as a metaphor for um, city blocks. Uh, why city blocks? Because I grew up in Joburg. This is how I understand my reality and how I navigate the city of Joburg is through reading graffiti. I'm always looking out for who's been up last night, who's getting up more, who's fading. So how I make sense of the city is by reading this graffiti. And in graffiti, they have the building blocks or the fundamentals, the ABCs of graffiti is block lettering. So I use block lettering as a metaphor for a city block. So my paintings look like an aerial view of the city whereby each city block is a graffiti block letter. And how these block letters work, they are ambigrams, which means they are ambiguous pictograms. So you can read them from the left to the right, uh, top to the bottom, bottom to the top, and vice versa. So a W becomes an M, depending on your orientation. And that is the commentary I'm making about the city. Depending on your orientation, how you read the city uh, changes, and the meaning of the city changes. Like my studio at the back factory, some of my clients, they're very comfortable coming to the back factory, meeting me and talking. But some of them, they're like, is it safe? You know, this is the very same space, but different people have a different reading of the space. So my work, uh, my painterly work mostly is about a literal reading of the city and a metaphorical reading of the city. And from the painterly works, I expand that idea of reading, making sense of reality into sculptural forms. And I always work with uh, repetition try to find multiple ways of seeing the same thing. So multiplicity is a key thing. And I use multiplicity to create patterns. And that's what informs my aesthetic. It's always the same thing, just repeated. Like um, the last body of work I showed in Cape Town was on the counter phrase TF. T is an F upside down. A small letter T is a small letter F upside down. So 
TF is a is a phrase. It's Tamto is a dialect spoken in Joburg that fuses Kwitak into English Afrikaans into it, and that's how we speak in Joburg. So there's that sense of urbanity, the language, and a specific way of speaking that not everybody can understand. So it becomes a coded language, kind of like graffiti is. And that whole show just made out of just one letter, the T. T is an F upside down. So I had paintings, I had, I had uh, sculptural works just out of one letter. So my whole point is to just try and find multiple ways of understanding this reality that we're living, the city spaces that we engage in. So you mentioned um, a whole lot of the, like, the languages that you use the script of. You wrote somewhere that you juxtapose the act of writing with codification, fantasy, and subjective beauty in its representation. I'm interested in this idea about fantasy. Have you created like an imaginary language or are you referencing actual lettering in your work? I'm, I'm, I'm referencing actual lettering in my work in the sense that graffiti uses the Roman Latin alphabet that you're all familiar with. Each graffiti artist uh, will put a, a flair or a style to the letter. So like everybody knows the A and when you learn your graph lettering, they'll show you the triangular A. This is the most quickest A when you're doing and you're bombing. And then from that, you add your own extension and each extension you add is just like, it's like your style. It's like your attitude. It's a flair. So you, you put these extensions to create your own letter that nobody else has ever seen. But yet, if you follow it closely enough and you understand the rules, you can decipher that this is an A, that's a B, that's a C, that's a D. That's, that's the, the fantastical notion about like reimagining something that's already there, which also plays with the idea of multiplicity. We all know the same ABCs, but each graffiti artist is their own variation of the ABCs. And so there's multiple ways of seeing the very same thing. Yeah, so, so you speak about coded language. Who, who is it coded for? I mean, who are there people, some people that can read it and some people that can't? With graffiti, yes. So, uh, people that have a trained eye for graffiti, they can read it. Uh, and those that don't have a trained eye, it's usually just patience. I mean, it's the same lettering that you see on your keyboard. If you sit down, look at it long enough, eventually you're going to crack it. And also the other element of coding is with things like Istamto, the dialect that is spoken in Istamto. So if you come from the township, you know the code, like many things, like even the greeting, really. You know, like uh, to, to an older person, it might mean nothing, you know, who speaks the language. But to a young person who knows the dialect, who knows the, the, the lingo, they'll know that's a greeting. Uh, and similarly, there's, a, there's this notion of code switching. So um, if people come from a certain environment, they have uh, references that are common amongst them. And if, a per if there's a person in that circle that doesn't come from the environment, they get lost in the code. So when I talk about a room divider, uh, if any English-speaking person knows what that is, but if you come from the township, the room divider means much more than just a, a furniture in the house. The room divider is where everything is kept in the home, anything that is meaningful to the home, wedding photos, graduation pictures, the, the, the cutlery that nobody else uses except for visitors, you know? So everybody knows the significance of a room divider. Um, with the context of a township experience. But like for somebody who doesn't come from the environment, a room divider simply is a piece of furniture. So that's when the coding comes in. Like, so how we interact with each other, there's an, always an element of code switching. If there's certain 
reference or which is like um, cultural. If there's a certain cultural reference that you're not privy into, some of the meanings get lost or they just go over your head because you don't know what is being referred to beyond the obvious. Tell me more about this idea of fantasy. You mentioned that um, in that quote that I just read out. What does it mean to you and what, what are you trying to portray with that? Um, fantasy is, is just being an imagineer of a better public space or a better city, how a city ought to work and how a city works in relation to the user of the city. In my work, I try to imagine a way that the city would work best for me and for its users. So like uh, I play the role of the user and, and this is what I'm alluding to, uh, how a city ought to work. You speak about reading the city. I'm interested to know what does the city tell you? What does the city say to you? What are your insights about Joburg? Uh, there's, there's too many. Um, I grew up in the city, so I've been seeing the city change over time and, and multiple changes as well. Um, but for me, what I find very fascinating is how this culture of graffiti operates in the city and yet not everybody can see it. It's like it's right in your face. It's in public spaces. But like for various reasons, people just walk past it. Some people say, wow, that's cool, but they cannot like decipher it. And yet there is a language uh, that is happening. There is uh, messages that are being communicated. So for me, as a person that uses the city and that practices um, the art of graffiti, there's so much meaning behind that. Like if I meet another writer, maybe say a day later, I'll be like, yo, did you see that? And Louis Bortha, yeah, I saw that dude with the chrome and the blue. And, you know, like for, 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 for us, it's, it's something alive and real, you know, and, 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 and current. And yet for a lot of people, they just drive past it, walk past it, and they don't register. So it's, it's the multiplicity and the layers and the coded nature of, of how, of our reality, really. Cause for me, the city is my reality, uh, of our reality and, and how fluid that is and how coded that can be. Yeah. And how multiple its reading can be. Would you call yourself a, a graffiti artist or a street artist? Or, I mean, I know you consider yourself a visual artist, but do you identify with the terms street artist, graffiti artist, and what is the difference and when would you use them differently? Street art is sanitized graffiti. It's the guys that don't have the kahunas to do it the proper way. So I don't do that. I'm not afraid of the city. I'm not afraid of the night. Uh, I'm not afraid of people that use the city. So I don't identify with that street art thing. Yes, I am a writer. I, I still get up. I paint regularly every day. <laughs> you know, I put my tag everywhere I go. So yes, um, I'm a writer, but no, not a street artist. I don't do the sanitized version. Tell me more about that. What does that mean, sanitized version? What does that mean to you? It's It's basically doing it for... For everybody, like, uh, how do I put it? It doesn't sound so good when I say for everybody, but, like, if I painted an apple, everybody can identify that that's an apple. Uh, so it becomes accessible in that sense because of the imagery that's used. Whereas graffiti writing uh, emphasizes on letter forms and the beauty of letter forms. And 
that's where graffiti, the root of graffiti is. Yes, we do have characters, but the fundamentals of graffiti is writing your name in as big as possible, as many times as possible, and as bold as possible. And then thereafter, you can add whatever extensions, ornament your lettering and make it nice. Whereas like street artists don't necessarily uh, represent what they name and what it stands for and getting it up. It's, 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 it's driven by being accepted by the public, by writing something that is palatable to an average viewer or user of, this, of, the, of the city. So that's the that's the fundamental difference. It's it's graffiti yeah. is writing your name yeah. as many yeah. times as possible, as big as possible, as bold as possible. I mean, even style comes after you. First and foremost, it's who are you? You know, it's 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 to mark the idea that I'm here, I exist, and then in marking your your the space and marking your existence then you communicate your attitude through your style through a use of color how you put your tags you know like the the the, the character comes after first and foremost you got to say yo i'm here i exist um where street art does not have that fascination or that commitment to to marking your presence um yeah i, I was going to say it seems like street art probably since Banksy, like the 90s movement has become a lot more like well-respected in a contemporary art space. I mean, someone like a South African street artist, Faith 47, has exhibited in international museums. I went to one and I saw it. I was very excited, but now I can't remember which one it was. So where does graffiti fits into this trajectory? Has it not been as accepted in the contemporary art space as street art has? It has, but um, how do I put it? Like John Wanner, Cause, there's a lot of graffiti artists that are in galleries whose works is being auctioned, uh, that exhibit regularly. So it's also what you need to understand is I think street art was an angle that people figured out in the late 90s. But because if you look at guys like there's a lot. Daniel Puren in the 1960s was doing what you call street art today, a Paris writer. But like, uh, take somebody like Chain Three uh, from X Vandals. X Vandals is one of the older crews in craft from like 1957 when the crew was founded. Chain Three has been exhibiting in galleries since like the 80s. You know, Lee's been exhibiting in galleries since. Jean Michel Basquiat. Why am I even going so far? Like Samo, that's like the original craft writer from. New York is one of the most famous artists of our times. You know, that's a that's a that's a graph dude. Uh, so it, it, the, the the street art umbrella or term kind of like made it easy for people that were not willing to dig into the underground or subculture of graffiti, and it just made it easy. That's what I, I meant by like it's being accessible. Once you paint an apple, everybody can identify that as an apple. Whereas if I make my B that doesn't look like a conventional B. It will take like five tries before somebody figures out that it, this is a B. So we've had like craft writers like doing the gallery thing since ways back, since the 80s. Don D. Lee, um, you know, it, it's there, it's documented, you know, it's in books. Yeah, but then somehow people are like street art, oh, street, because they just made it easy for everybody. Whereas like chain three, like doesn't even use chain three in the gallery, uses government name. 
Like, we wouldn't know this is a graph, right? I mean, like, graph is illegal. Who, who, who wants to go around saying, oh, yeah, that, that's me. This is what I did. Like, I mean, you go to jail, you know? I've been arrested for that. Yeah. yeah, so I don't go around saying those kind of things. I might be saying this on this interview just to contextualize things, but I'm not going to tell you what I write, where I wrote, <laughs> you know? You're not going to know that. That's, yeah. that's immaterial. It, it has nothing to do with me being an artist and being able to articulate my emotions, my ideas, my views through visuals. I don't need to sell that. Um, if I'm making art, I make art. Whether I do craft or not, that, that has nothing to do with my art collector, with my gallerist. Yeah, they find out it's like an anecdotal thing. Oh, wow, but I don't need to, like, yo, look at me. I do this thing. So buy my work. No, my work has weight outside of this. Apologies to everyone. We had a bit of a sound issue, so we are re-recording this next bit of the interview. So tell me a little bit more about the graffiti community in Joburg. Like, what are the politics and the challenges and the... Is it a very community-driven subculture? Or, and how do you, as an artist, as a person, exist within this subculture? Graffiti is many things. Part of it is we're talking just now about the abstract nature of writing and the codes that go with it. So, so graffiti works like that. Like, it's first a code for the people that are practicing in the culture. And then on top of that, it's also codes for guys in their crew or signifiers for guys in their crew for people that come from a a specific area. So there's a lot of layers and layers and layers of codification that that has an impact on how people interact with each other, uh, who you're down with. It's it's just it's just politics, just like just like the the art world is politics, you know. Where do you study? What kind of work do you make? Uh, that informs how people interact with you, how people perceive you. So, like, it's a similar thing. You know, you speak about this encoded language. What what actually are your your words saying? What what are the words that you're using in your paintings and sculptures? And um, I use some to phrases like the 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 one that I. I did a while ago was TF. TF is a come to phrase that comes from the Afrikaans words telephone. So TF is used to signify a joint or to talk about a joint. So that's a, that's the code of the streets. You know, if, if you don't know it's come to, if my mother heard me say TF, you can identify the two letters T and F. But if you didn't know what it, it stood for and what it makes reference to, you wouldn't get part of the meaning. You wouldn't get the meaning. So that's that's a, a dialect that's spoken in Joburg, and I, and I make reference to that as a signifier of urbanity or that translates my experience within these urban settings. Uh, part of the speaking is is, is 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 part of the feeling of the of being in the space. Is part of the way you, you engage with the space. It also forms part of how you identify with the space and yourself with the space. Would you say that the graffiti lettering? becomes abstracted i suppose in the way that it's encoded it's essentially abstracted because it can only be read by a certain amount of people yeah graffiti yeah the 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 idea of lettering in graffiti is is abstract because it's it's letters letters is uh, signs that are imbued with uh meaning and like in the alphabet like we make this triangle with a, a line across it and we call it an a and the a is a vowel and then it works with consonants, and then all these, all each each letter of the alphabet is is uh, invented, you know. 
So it's it's a it's an abstract uh, form of documenting uh, ideas about reality. It does not depict in any way. So because graffiti focuses on lettering, it's it's naturally abstract. It does not make any reference to 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 anything that you can depict that you know that resembles it visually. So can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the Amabeke syllabary? What what is Amabeke? Uh, uh, Amabeke is decorations or what is known as decorations in in, in Zulu material culture. Amabeke, um, you find them in beer vessels and you find them on the lids of the beer vessels. You also find it in, in, in the Zulu love letters. That's the beadwork, that's the beaded version of it. So... Um, the, 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 the Zulu love letters is called Utu. It's used as a gift from one person to another. And um, in the patterning of the beadwork, there's an encoded meaning message uh, and use of colors to signify ideas. So it's a way of communicating, in a way of passing on messages, transcribing uh, messages. So let's move into your more fine art kind of gallery practice. And, and maybe to lead from the graffiti practice to the fine art practice, let me ask, how does the surface of the canvas relate to the surface of the wall, both physically and metaphorically? So the difference with spraying on a, a wall is that you have a bigger surface to work with and, and, and therefore you, you, you're less precious about the surface that you're painting on because you have a lot of, of it to play with. But then the spray can works differently to, to a brush. Uh, it's, it's more high paste, you cannot keep it in one place for too long, otherwise it does drip in. So the mark making becomes gestural. You've got to make a, a stroke and then make another stroke and then another stroke and then that's how you connect your lines and that's how you draw your your image. Uh, you come back and you feel. So like they, this is, and even in those strokes, like especially with the tagging, like you can tell how long a guy has been, it's been, it's been, it's been tagging just by like how they make their marks, how comfortable they are with their mark making. Even not even the can with the marker, even you know, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a very. That's that's one of the things that I enjoy watching, uh, graffiti uh, about watching graffiti is just to see how those guys make their marks and how confident they are and how fluent they are with it. Uh, so. It's a it's a it's a different process to painting. Uh, you know, the, the the smaller canvas is precious because it's prepared for you. You're the first person to use it. It's pure virgin white, and it's yours. You know, to 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 work with. So you don't want to mess up on on a canvas. Uh, so you usually sketch. You plan more. It's premeditated. You want to be accurate. You want to be precise. You want to minimize the mistakes. So th- you you approach it differently to to painting on a on a large scale, on a public space. So, yeah, those are the differences. Do you think maybe that the the kind of preciousness that you mentioned of the canvas, like obviously it costs more, do you think it maybe puts more pressure on the work? Like does it restrict a sense of freedom of the work perhaps? No, it doesn't. It's, it's, it's similar to what I was talking about with painting in the street. Sometimes you have a jam. Um, sometimes... It's just tagging, uh, throw-ups. You have different times to do those, to execute those kind of things. And it, it's just a different uh, way of working as opposed to the time creates pressure, you know. I think it's more, it's more, the canvas can be more forgiving because you have all the time to correct your mistakes. Whereas maybe if you're doing a piece, you, you're chasing the sun usually. You're trying to finish before the sun sets. Because once the sun is gone, you can't see, then you can't paint, you know. So the the objective is 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 to paint as quick 
as possible, as fast as possible. Do the first thing, do a thing once and get it right the first time. Don't come back to repeat, you know? So the canvas works in a similar way, you know, like well, now you have all the time to correct your mistakes. Um, it's just it's just a different way to work with it. It's 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 not necessarily adding pressure or less pressure. It's just a, a different medium to work with. I'm interested in your sculptural works. I really think it's interesting how you take this graffiti lettering and create three dimensional forms from it and then from these forms you start to create these cityscapes these structures can you talk to us a little bit more about that process and just the three-dimensional works in general yeah yeah it stems from my 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 painterly work where i focus on the building block of this writing system that tells us about reality that depicts reality that records reality into into interrogating uh, not only the the, the individual uh, saying the alphabet letter, but into its physical form, like what it looks like, and 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 try to get into its physical form and see it, touch it. You know, um, it's 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 just my study of of these letters and how they construct reality. Because once you make it into a sculpture, then it's physical, it's it's tangible. You can walk around it, you know, it's more real, you know. So it's it's only natural that my interrogation of these like letter forms take physical manifestations and and because and, it adds depth and dimension into in what they are because that's what I'm interested in, like what they are. You create these structures through cardboard usually. So you're taking like a medium mm -hmm. that one would draw onto as a flat surface, but then you're starting to build mm -hmm. with this cardboard and you're kind of really like creating this three-dimensional object. It's like emerges from this 2D surface. Are you still working with cardboard or do you use other mediums now? Like they just shift over time. Uh, I was working with cardboard for a very long time. Then I started mixing it with bamboo, hessian cloth, and, and, and now, like, my, I'm fascinated with wood. So I guess that's where I'm at now. Um, obviously, those are mediums that I understand, materials that I've worked with, that I know, uh, that I can play with. But right now, I'm thinking mostly wood and, and, and metal as well. Um, so I, I guess that was the, at a point yeah, at one point, yes, uh, I used to work a lot with cardboard. I started off in, in art school. Yeah, I was enjoying just like just taking a simple flat material and making it something three-dimensional. Again, it was exploring these building blocks that we formulate our notion of reality out of and making them. Uh, and the idea of making them also emphasizes the constructed uh, nature of these ideas and th that make up reality, ultimately the constructed nature of reality. So in, in 2016, you curated an exhibition at Everard Reed in Cape Town called Material City. Mm -hmm. So firstly, tell me yeah. how you kind of landed yourself in a curatorial role and uh, tell us more about the show. I met uh, an art dealer, Charles, at Africa Burn, and we started talking and talking they came to meet me in Joburg, started showing with them, and then they just suggested this idea to me. And I was like, yeah, cool, why not do it? Um, yeah, so uh, so this show is called Material City, and 
invited a few artists that I knew that worked in a particular way with materiality onto the show, presented the show, and yeah, that's, that's how it came about. Are you interested in curating further, or is it was this kind of like a one-off thing? I've curated a couple of things as, as well. Like, I uh, did a show with, uh, when was it, 2017, I think. Uh, I curated another show with uh, Umuzi and uh, Pule, the language exhibition for Umuzi Academy in Joburg, uh, which was Tal, the exhibition of language. The whole idea was showing that Kintu languages, Kui uh, and Thai as well, were complex singularity rather than just different things that were unrelated. Uh, so we focused on the connections between Southern African languages, uh, so just Kintu, Kui and Ta, uh, and how they connect and how they relate and, and where they reconnect and how other new languages get formed and how others die. So yeah, it was about language and or Southern African languages and how they relate to each other as a, a complex singularity as opposed to separate bodies. So Sandile, what would you say has been a really big moment for you in your young art career? What are your proudest achievements to date? Um, yeah, there's a couple. I suppose it's always the most recent one. Off the top of my head, when I was invited to a sculpture symposium in India, that was a very proud moment for me because... That's when I really, really started working into in, with metal uh, as a, as a as a medium for 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 making sculpture and also the artists that I met there. Uh, I met very interesting artists that that knew a lot and that, that were kind enough to share. I got invited by one of the artists to stay longer after the symposium. Yeah, and I got to explore, you know, India a little bit more. So that was a that was a very good moment because. Ever since, like, I've, I've been making more and more and more sculptures. So was it a commission for a public artwork? Does this public sculpture still exist somewhere? Uh, it was, a, it was a, a sculpture park that they wanted to establish. So they invited artists that came from the countries that had qualified for the Hockey World Cup in India. So all the artists they were representing each country in the Hockey World Cup. So South Africa got into the Hockey World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Ah. And, uh, that's why I was there. <laughs> I had no idea we had a strong hockey team. Cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I also had no idea. And the only connection is that I, I was South African and, uh, yeah, as a South African artist. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's I met those guys and they, those were very good people to meet. Yeah. No, the, the, uh, so they were setting up a sculpture park for that coincided with uh, a public art program they had for the Hockey World Cup in India, and South Africa was one of the countries that qualified, and I was there representing uh, South Africa. And unfortunately, a couple of months later, there was a cyclone in East India, uh, Bhubaneswar, where it was uh, where the, the the World Cup was happening and where the sculpture park was, um, and so it got destroyed in the cyclone. Like it's just one of those natural disasters. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's so it's not there. Everything got dis- destroyed. Not only the sculpture park, shops, houses, a lot of stuff. Sure, that's tragic. Mm. Besides that achievement, you're also represented by a couple of galleries and you're selling work and you've got a, a studio at the bag factory and part of a kind of strong network of artists. So you seem to be doing quite well. Do you do you feel good about where you're at? I feel good that uh, I'm making. Uh, I feel good that uh, I got so much more that uh, I want to make still that I'm, I feel good about. 
and working with in the industry being being in the industry and uh being in exhibitions and studio practice blah 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 that that's 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 all part of it and i think i'm lucky that over the years i've managed to make relevant connections that play a supportive role in my practice in in various ways from the galleries that I work with uh, here in Joburg and in Cape Town, the artists that I know, like people like you, you know, are we having this conversation? Um, so in the industry, there's there's a lot of people at various ways or times that play a supportive role in my practice. I feel good about that. I'm grateful about that. So, yeah, it seems like it's working out. Like the guys in the streets that are paint that are paint with, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, we always on missions, and we always have things that we planning on doing, and that are doing that we've done. You know, so yeah, yeah. I feel good about that. Like that I'm making. Yeah, that's the main thing. And what are you working on now during lockdown? Um, I'm working on a on a on a painting, another study of Utu, which is a Zulu love letter that I translated into sculptural forms. Uh, that you can walk around, get an experiential sense of now I've translated that back uh, onto a flat surface. So like re-looking at the same thing just from a different angle, like I always do, like I take one thing and multiply its meaning, but it's essentially the same thing. So that's, that's what I'm busy with. It's in process. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm sketching as well. I've been talking to a few friends, want to go paint something, came up with the theme um yeah so we've been working on that i don't know when i'm gonna paint it doesn't matter we'll figure something out uh yeah so i'm i'm being productive uh, during the lockdown yeah 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 thank you sandile so much for joining us for today's episode and i uh, really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing about your practice and thank you so much i wish you all the best for the rest of this lockdown and this period and yeah, good luck for everything, and I can't wait to see what you get up to for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, thank you for, for having me on your podcast. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure to talk about what I do. I don't do this every day. Thank you so much to Sandile and to you, the listeners, for joining me today. Please follow Unframed on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe on Apple Music. Please rate and review us as it will help us to get more followers. Share this episode with your networks and encourage them to follow Unframed too. Thanks. See you next time. Bye.